0: And welcome to the Big Happy Life Podcast. I'm Natalie Britt and I'm a trainer, coach and hypnotherapist. My work is all about helping people to live everyday life in such a way that we feel more in control, we're better able to weather the tough stuff and we can be great role models for our kids in a world where things are constantly changing, things are very difficult a lot of the time and we have to find in ourselves the peace and confidence and ability to continue to do our best, continue to feel our best, and continue to show up for the people who matter to us in our lives. My guest today is somebody who has done all of those things. In this episode, I'm talking to Jeanette Marie Rogerson, and you'll hear her story at the beginning of our conversation, so I won't share with you very much about it now, except to tell you that Through a series of life circumstances, she ended up in a situation where she was homeless with her two kids, although very fortunately she didn't have to sleep rough, and lost her job simultaneously when all of that was going on, and had to rebuild her life from the ground up. Her experiences caused her to reflect on her own inner world, the things she thought and felt and believed, and that, in the end, was how she managed to pick herself up. So the things she shares with us in this episode are things that I think all of us can benefit from remembering, perhaps drawing our attention to when stuff gets hard. So this episode is a great one for weathering the tough stuff. But to be fair, also a great one for feeling in control and being a great role model for your kids. So let's dive in. I reached out to you off the back of a Facebook post. So before I ask you any questions, I just want to read that post out, if that's okay, um, so that people listening get a sense of your story before you tell it. Sure. So it it just really captured me. Um, It's a a post that you've put on and it's got um, two pictures of your kids. And it says, eight years ago, we were reeling from a new diagnosis and a troubled family life. These little people became my reason to get up in the morning. I miss those little faces. I didn't know I would have to lose everything except them in order to finally achieve peace and happiness. House gone, job gone, marriage gone, money and stuff gone. In the span of three months, I lost it all. In return, I gained my freedom. And now I teach others how to do the same, giving back because I've been there. Phenomenal transformations are possible and it doesn't take years of therapy. It was such a powerful post and I found myself thinking, I have to talk to this woman. I have to find out because we've we've been, all of us have been through things, but some of us go through big things and I think there's so much value and lessons to be learned from that. So I'd, I'd love to hear your story and then kind of more about how, how you ended up where you are now. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Um, I've told this story before, um, and uh, the diagnosis is not mine to really tell, but uh, it was um, uh, my former husband uh, was to, had undiagnosed bipolar disorder for almost all of the 17 years we were together. And it had affected him so deeply that I was the main breadwinner. You know, I carried the family. I had um, two, obviously two children. We were all living under the same roof, but he had become a different person. So um, I argued and begged and pleaded with him to get help for a long time. And after our son was born, as anyone who knows anything about bipolar disorder knows that those major life events moving, babies, marriage, new job, losing a job. They kick off massive, um, shifts in their personality. So I knew something was wrong. Um, he went to, um, voluntarily commit himself to a day program. And, uh, that takes tremendous strength for someone who doesn't believe they have the problem. So he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder there. And, um, uh, he was in his 40s you know I didn't believe that it was a real thing he thought that it was all me because it had been you know he'd sort of focused on me being the problem for a long time so it was our habit so we were as a family trying to get treated um the kids were in therapy well my son was an infant so my daughter was in therapy we were in family therapy he was seeing a therapist and all these things and when it came down to it um he didn't take the medication And he started to treat my daughter, um, that his mania manifests as rage and he would fly off the handle at her. And she had been his whole world, like just the sun rose and set on her. And I saw this happening at the dinner table one day. And I said, that's it. Like, I can't, I can't let this happen to us. To him, it would destroy their relationship if we stayed in the same house. So, uh, we made plans, um, to divorce and he, um, because the legal system protects the financially weaker spouse, he got the house and he got our things that were in the marriage and he got half my retirement almost and all of these things. And I was left homeless uh, with uh, my, the things we had collected over our marriage. I, I no longer had my furniture, those things. So uh, that was difficult. And then um, we were due to move uh, to stay with my parents for a brief period of time in um, Virginia which is where I'm from uh, for over the summer and get our feet, you know, on our feet, get an apartment to you know, the children. I would find a place to live. It would be fine. And then I lost my job uh, about two weeks before I was set to move. So again, homeless, right? With now no job, uh, no one's going to give me an apartment with a wing and a prayer. So um, I was really, really lucky uh, that my parents had already anticipated us staying there briefly. And so I didn't, I wasn't on the street with my children. Um, and and out of that, I, I did, you know, make what I call one very bad decision. I had been in sales for a long time and I received a severance package and I decided that this was the time that I, my children were used to me working from home, that I would uh, continue some kind of work from home job. My self-esteem was in the toilet. I didn't know how this was gonna play out, but I, I was doing one of those, you know sell clothes to your friend thing. That didn't work at all because inside I felt like I was broken. I felt like I was the problem. I thought I blamed myself for, you know, my husband not even getting better because I should have been able to help. Him. And that all happened in three months time. Um, I lost it all except for my sanity and my children. So, um, that's wow. where, that's the bad part and as far as how I turned it all around, um, I rebuilt my entire career, uh, through, um, people that I know, the woman who had to let me go from my job, they were doing our restructure. She called me about six months later. And she said, I heard of a position at one of our partners. You'd be perfect. She slid me in there as luck would have it. I, um, I had to start at an entry level job an entry level salary, um, just to claw my way back up. And within two years, I had been promoted four times and been noticed by someone who brought me on to another job and another job. And here we are, and I'm successful to the degree that I don't need um, spousal support. I don't have any child support, I never have. Um, And my children are thriving. They are so happy, so content. Um, I'm just incredibly blessed. So that's where we are now. Amazing. So I can fill in more details, but ask any questions. I am an open book. Fabulous. Well, I think the first question that comes to mind is
0: because I think for a lot of people, the toxicity of where our minds can take us when huge stuff like that happens. I mean, I admire you so much for going through that and and talking about it from the place you are now. But I also know that that pivot point must have been just so difficult. I also know that for a lot of people who are in that pivot point, it's just as easy to go the other way. It's just as easy to go, oh my God, this was so unfair. Like I have worked my whole life and now he's got the house and I'm stuck. This is not fair. And to potentially still be living with your parents is a realistic possibility if that toxicity of the relationship had led you to crumble instead of to grow. So what I'm really interested in knowing is what was the catalyst that led you the way you went rather than towards the more toxic element or the
1: toxic possibility of like, I'm not coming out of this. Yeah. It's something that I actually identify with the coaching clients that I have today. Uh, We seem to share this common there's a there's a spark. There's something in a drive inside that says, I am not giving up. I don't know how this is gonna happen. I don't know what it's gonna look like. My like, you know, there are days where you just sort of pray to just not break down, you know, and and I I remember something very interesting happens There's a common theme amongst people who are dealing with trauma, um, mental illness in the home. Uh, a lot of us tend to go super religious, uh, we, because the only constant is God, right? Like everything else is chaos. So you're like, okay, well, at least I've got my religion, but I would pray to make it throughout the next hour. Um, and, uh, there was a part of me that said, I'm not going to let, and I was saying him, but it's really the disorder. I, I don't blame him. He has, a whole host of issues that are not about me and it's not personal. It is all of this disorder and that um, thought process, that ability to associate the problem with the disorder and not the man helped me tremendously because it wasn't. And I, because it, my every thought, once he had the diagnosis was it's not me, this isn't me. This is his version of reality is skewed. So I had two things. One, I wasn't going to let my past dictate my future at all. And, uh, to, you know, again, I, I had a intellectually, I understood it wasn't me emotionally. I had to do a lot of, you know, healing. Um, yeah. but I went from that relationship. I went out and I just, my only thought was, I don't want to screw up the next one because I still blamed myself Mm, right um so I had both a a little bit of both the drive to succeed was there to continue climbing out of that hole was just something innate in me um the how was you know sort of Mm. up in the air Mm. but yeah
0: I'm really interested also to know about the blaming yourself part um because again I think that's a very common trait I certainly see it in my own clients as well of um a certain sense of like, I wasn't good enough, or I didn't do this well enough, or I missed something or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a common element of somebody who also has the spark and the drive to do more, because then it's like, well, on one, on one side, it's a massive strength, but that strength also cuts you in such a deep way because a part of you trusts yourself so much to to do things and to be capable and to get stuff done that when it doesn't work, that part turns on you because then it's like, well, what the hell? What was that? Why didn't you see it? Why didn't you do something? Now look what you've done. This is a huge blooming mess and you created it. And it's like, okay, I, I need you to be quiet. Right. So how did you realize that you had another option, that you didn't have to listen to that voice.
1: Well, I think a couple of things about that, just to, um, when you're a capable person, an intelligent person, especially, um, I think women in society, I hate, I don't mean to, people tell me I overgeneralize genders too much, but I do believe that we have slightly different roles in society, like we just, we take in different information. So we are told to do different things than men are by society. Um, and when you're a capable woman, uh, you don't really know that, you know. You're intelligent. You're driven. You're capable, but you're not given the same necessarily opportunities or praise or whatever avenues to to pursue that. And so we do tend to focus on our relationships where we can be incredibly impactful. And then uh, the day comes and you you're not, and it is very confusing because uh, for me, I just kept banging my head against that wall. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know. I'm. I know I can do this because my whole life has said that I am a capable person, not unlike becoming a parent. Um, When you're, and I was 30 when my daughter was born. So I had 30 years of life, a very successful person. And then this little baby comes in and says, you don't really know anything. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild. Um, So the blaming myself part uh, was very familiar to me uh, because I was blamed growing up, right? I see the toxicity in my home and, uh, how, and now I looking back, I can tell how I was, you know, formed this way, the way that I describe it. And you probably do this too for my clients is when we are small, we, uh, are incapable of having the maturity and the foresight to see an entire situation for what it is. And our, you know, caregivers will do things that seem seemingly innocuous things to us. And uh, it we form beliefs about them uh, for ourselves. Now, in my case, um, I, I, I have a, a score, an eight out of 10 on the adverse childhood experiences score. So I had a pretty toxic you know, growing up time, which meant that I was the caregiver, I was the problem solver. I had to show up and and make people feel better. So when my um, partner started exhibiting those seems um, needs, I was like, "Oh me, I've got this, I've done this," you know. So and I didn't even know that. In you know, looking back, you know, I can see just how well suited I was to be in that relationship with him and not leave. You know, and not, you know, even think that something was wrong uh, because I'm so used to carrying that burden. It was very easy for me to step into that role uh, mm-hmm. as a wife. Yeah, oh. yeah. I think, you know,
0: saying that even I don't even think we have to have any kind of toxic experiences in our childhood to embed those messages of, like, I have to be this way and then I'm really worth more Um you know, I have to help look after my siblings. I have to be there for other people. I have to put their needs first. You know, I think about it in our home, like my daughter is praised regularly for putting herself second because her brother is younger than her. Mm -hmm. And he's emotionally very challenging when he doesn't get his own way. And everybody's life gets easier when she just bows to him. And same here. Yeah. it's hard right so you know you you kind of as a parent you've got to walk the line of you don't have to take this and I say this to her as often as I can but at the same time I praise her or I'll mouth a kind of thank you to her when she's like yes you can go first yes you can have that it doesn't matter that she broke that it's okay like she it's constant give 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 now the the extra layer in our family is that both of my children are adopted. So my daughter was seven when I met her. Um, And she is the oldest of a large number of siblings actually with our youngest being her youngest sibling. Um, So she's been praised for this kind of behavior for a long time. Right. Um, to the point where it's in her personality but I think in much the same way as what you've just described a lot of her self-worth will become wrapped up in her ability to bend herself for other people to make life easier for them to be the good one the kind one the supportive one the always there for you always willing to help one and so in some ways like it, it's it's all fantastic having all of those qualities. They're wonderful, but every strength, when overplayed, it, it becomes a weakness, or it, it cuts us in ways that that cost us really severely. Like what you've just described, where you kept stepping up and you kept stepping up, not realizing actually that hang on a minute, this is not okay. Right, right. Uh, but you didn't know to, to ask a different question or to think about the fact that actually no, this this isn't something that I should be accepting. This
1: isn't something to rise to. This is something to challenge. Um, and we don't always know the difference. Yes, and I totally agree. And just to, um, in my house, it's the same. My daughter is a go along, get along. She's We say she's been that way since birth, but that is, you know, and her brother was also much more vocal. He is, he tends to be much more in touch with what he wants and he will let everybody know. And that is fine. What I've noticed though, because she is the way she is, he in turn is learning that skill set also. And so he is giving to her and he'll say, No, we can do this because she wants to. So there is a, a learning process. So it's good for him to model the behavior, but I absolutely agree with you. Uh, whenever she stands up for herself, I heap praise on her. You know, it's like, oh yes, this is the other, this is the other side of the coin. Um when I would ch- the the thing that I was dealing with, and this is why I love to talk about my story, is that I was dealing with someone with undiagnosed mental illness for so so long. So uh, when I would challenge the behavior, because even I I had some shred of you know self esteem when we first started dealing with this, I would just be uh, met with such resistance and manipulated to the degree that I believed that I had um, issues. In fact. We went to um, couples counseling together. And when that's only good, just as a disclaimer for anyone else, only good if both people are on the same playing field. If you're both, you know, mentally sane, it's fine. But if one person's version of reality is skewed, you can't possibly have couples counseling. So we had counselors who said that I was the problem because I was reacting to his uh, disorder in public. In private, his disorder was entirely different. In public, he's charming and funny and all of the things. He's a wonderful person. But at home, I became the target. And so um, professionals were saying that I was doing it wrong, right? So not only was I telling myself that, professionals were doing the same. So um, I stopped challenging it. I said, well, obviously, you know, I just have to deal with this. I married the man and sickness and health, you know, here we are. So.
0: Wow. Yeah. And it's it's interesting also what you say about um, the, the, if one person's view of reality is skewed, but then, I mean, I know in this case we're talking about a very specific situation and we're talking about bipolar disorder, but I think all of us have a skewed sense of reality because it's, it's, it's part of human nature, isn't it? So You know, that's, I guess that's part of the challenge in any relationship is that we're always going to see things differently. It's just quite how far the differences are apart Mm -hmm. and whether or not the coming together of those differences is something that both parties are able to do. Um, That, I guess, changes what happens in those types of sessions. But yeah, I can see how, on the face of it, it could very easily look like something completely different to somebody who's not in
1: it. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I want to say, you know, I have uh, there, I I recognized I have such history with uh, this, with mental illness in my family that I um, now, one of the things that I try to do is, is contribute to some support groups around this because it is so traumatizing for those of us on the other side. I was looking at a photo of um, my grandfather and his four sons and they, they hadn't, they had been apart for ye- like t- almost two decades. And this photo was taken on a day where they all had gotten back together. My father was there and um, one of his brothers had mental illness that was known about, but sort of hush-hush talk, not talked about. He was a black sheep of the family effectively. Um, my grandfather's father, was the reason that he they left the country of Scotland. They left, he and his mother and his siblings all left and came to America because his father was sort of the town swindler. That's kind of the best way I could put it. Clearly there's a problem there. Then my grandfather goes to marry a woman who now we look at it and she probably had bipolar disorder. She was institutionalized from the, when my father, the youngest of four boys was uh, born. Um, and then my father goes to marry my mother and I She's living, my father's in the past, so I can tell these stories, so I won't say anything about my mother, but I can see the pattern there. And then I go to marry someone with bipolar disorder. So looking at the generational trauma, I can see how we are all set up to sort of, not we, make certain choices based on our family history and what we see every day. And um, once I left and I... Stepped away and started to transition into who I really am. Instead of that reactionary person, instead of the person fixing everything all the time, I broke that pattern. I saw my grandfather marry the love of his life after um, my his wife passed. My father married the most wonderful woman after my parents divorced. I have an incredible partner. Like we have this strange tie that once you break those cycles, your life just i mean expands to a degree you would never even imagine possible um and so i'm passionate about helping people deal with the, these situations um because it does show up with regardless of there's mental illness or not
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there's there's a like a generational piece to this that I think that is important to address. And it's yeah. probably very interesting for you because you have adopted children and my sister, my youngest sister is adopted also. So you know that there's a piece that like, you know, you maybe you don't address every day, but it's there, right? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Also. And and you've just hit on something that, again, is
0: part of, um, so I created this thing, it's called the Strengths Factors. Um, and it's six I guess, sources of strength, six ways Mm. in which if you know to pay attention to them, that you can strengthen yourself, you can strengthen your life, um, and you can strengthen your grit, resilience, um, options available to you, all kinds of things. But one of the six factors is what I call break, Mm. the ability to break a pattern, um, to recognize when you need to take a break, to break away from a relationship. There's a lot of different things that you know, with all of these various strength factors, we don't, if we don't know to pay conscious attention to them, they happen anyway, but right. they just drag us around wherever the hell they go. Um, whereas when we know to pay attention to them, we can use them as a source of strength, something to, for what, the way you described it, for life to expand, to become something different. So, what I would love to know is based on the experiences that you've had and the things that you do working with your clients, What would be some of the things that you would say, actually, looking back, if I could go talk to that earlier version of me and say, these are the signs that this pattern exists and is worth breaking, what would you encourage her to look for? That's fascinating.
1: Because intellectually, I was aware of them right i was aware of the patterns i was aware that people in my family had mental health issues i was aware that there were mental health issues that were being self-medicated i was a, i was aware of it but i think it was going back to our being capable and problem solving so much i thought that you know when i was younger that I, that it didn't, it wouldn't hurt me. My uh, husband and I met when I was 19. So I was very much that headstrong, you know how we are, teenagers, you know, you can do anything in the world, nothing will hurt me. Um, so I made decisions from that place, believing that I was capable of managing everything. Uh, and then slowly, slow. you know, they it, it broke down. So if I could tell my younger self, um, hmm, what would I tell her? that the mental illness isn't on you, right? Like that, that this is not your problem to solve and that you don't, because it, it, I knew that if it was me, I knew that if it was, you know, somehow um, hereditary, that I would handle it. I knew that in myself because I I have, a, I have a degree in psychology also. So like, I know that the diagnosis doesn't define me. If I have a problem, sign me up. I, it's fine. I will, I will take that and and run with it. Um, But... Uh, I would probably tell myself that it's to to look outside. Like my father, when he was teaching me to drive, he said, it's not you. You can stay in between those lines. It's everyone else you got to watch out for. You know, be the defensive driver, be the you know, look outside um, for those problems because they're not yours, right? That's the other driver's issue. They can't stay in their lane. It's not your fault. And you don't have to push them into their lane. You just need to get out of the way and keep going. Mm -hmm and not get entangled with those people uh yeah it was very difficult though i some <laughs> i collect people with bipolar disorder i watch the pattern and i'm like she has it he has it he has it i mean everywhere not anymore not anymore which is fascinating but throughout my life it just they just kept coming to me so okay. So maybe that's
0: one of the patterns to look out for. If this thing keeps showing up in your life, it's a pattern. If you're asking the question, why does this keep happening to me? There's a pattern. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's up to you then what it's do, what it's suggesting is that the part of the pattern is, you know, you're trying to bump their car back into lane or whatever. You're trying to get involved there or something, something's going on that's helping Mm -hmm. that pattern stay alive. And if you can figure out what it is, you can potentially
1: free yourself from the pattern. And I think you hit on it, It, when you were saying bumping the car, we were talking about that, it's where you spend all your energy. You shouldn't be spending your energy, should, I know, bad word, but (laughs) um, (laughs) you don't have to spend your energy helping others in that way, right? Your energy can be focused and it's entirely appropriate to focus on yourself. And I think that's a lesson sometimes we're taught as women, maybe just in society, that that can be a um, bad quality right? That, uh, focusing on yourself is not necessarily okay because it's selfish. You need to do for others. That's also a religious concept. I mean, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's what I would say if I, you know, now that we we've, we really talked about it, I would say, you know, to not spend my precious energy and time, mm-hmm. um, fixing other people's problems. Yeah.
0: It's funny, actually, again, if I go back to, this is what started being Happy Life in the first place was that those first year or two of parenting, And my focus was entirely on them, like 100%. They were the only things that mattered. And I had no idea that that was why I ended up in a huge mess, like a massive, enormous mess, because my entire energy and attention was focused on them and doing the best for them. And every moment that I didn't get it 100% right, that voice in my head would go, you suck and you've missed another day. Like she was seven when you met her, there's no time. There's no time for you to get this wrong because she has to undo all kinds of patterns. Otherwise she's gonna be upset as a grown up. Like she's not gonna have confidence. She's not gonna have self-esteem. It's up to you, you have to fix it. (laughs) Okay, Jesus, like (laughs) I I can't do this. And then like you said, there's something about parenting that makes you go, I don't know anything. I thought I, was, I thought I was quite capable. I, I was running a business, I was doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that voice goes, yeah, no, you're, you're nothing. You're nobody. None of this stuff is of any use to you. Mm-hmm. And for me, because of how I became a parent, there was also that voice going, hmm, it seems to me like maybe you shouldn't have been a parent. Maybe this was nature's way. Like now you've cocked this up for them as well because now they're stuck with you and that's on you. So none of that helped them. And those those thoughts and that story turned me into the mum that couldn't help them, that couldn't guide them, yeah, that couldn't do anything. And so that actually the best thing I've ever done for them was become more selfish and turn my attention inside and start going, okay, right, it's it's a bit hostile in here. <laughs> it's not working very well for me and I'm not showing up as the person I wanted to be the person I thought I was when we started the whole process that took three years before those kids walked through the door. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, for anyone listening to this, if that is still where you are, where you're trying so hard to be everything for everyone and do everything perfectly. And when you get it wrong, that that voice in your head tells you that you suck, that the best thing you can possibly do is turn your attention away from all the people you're trying to help right now and turn it towards yourself with some compassion. Yeah. Because I think that that is what turns everything else around.
1: And I have to tell you that I have to say that my kids have noticed and vocalized that as I've done the work on myself, right. That we don't have conflict in our home. I mean, they're like, my daughter says, she says, you know, and she's 13, so almost 13 and a half. So this is, it could be a tough time. She said, we have a better relationship than most other people, than any other people that I I know. Many of my friends, they always fight with their mothers, you know, whatever. I'm not her friend. I'm her parent. I don't, I'm not like trying to make it Mm -hmm. easy or anything, but uh, because I no longer have those voices, right, those stressors, um, I show up as a much better parent that's the reason that they're happy. Not because I made the best choices along the way, right? I mean, we all can second guess and look back and say, did I do this the right way? But it's because every day I show up and I'm not uh, fighting that internal struggle. And so the anxiety is gone, you know? So yeah, but so you're spot on. And I, You know, and the other thing about being a parent, and if anybody is going through this too, it's like all the things I thought I would do, the way I thought I would parent, right? It goes out the window when they come through the door, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you end up getting, and I would like to say, you parent the child that you got, not the one that you wanted, right? We all want something, but we get these gifts to help us work out whatever it is we need to work out.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that, that has actually been a, a very valuable lesson. And I think perhaps also ties in with everything that you've spoken about so far is just, I think when we face these incredible challenges in life, when we are able to look at them, I mean, it's hard, it's, it feels trite to say when we look at them as gifts, but often in hindsight, you can see them as that. So if there's a possibility to consider while we're going through it, the likelihood is there's something in here for me. There's a lesson that if I can learn it and internalize it and embody it, something is gonna get better than it was before. And I don't know what it is yet. I don't even maybe know how to make the best use of the situation right now, but only to know that once I am able to start thinking that way, I will be able to turn this around. I will be able to take another step to, to do something differently. so I also want to come back to something um you said something earlier about I I was aware that there was an issue Mm -hmm. um it wasn't that I wasn't aware I guess what I want to ask is how do you see the role of intuition now when you look back on that and think like there were signs but maybe at the time you didn't know how to use them or maybe you didn't trust your intuition or whatever. Can you say a little bit about how, how that was and potentially what advice you would give to people in the same situation where something is telling them, like, I'm aware that this is an issue, but I, I'm still doing what I've always done and I'm still getting what I always got.
1: Oh yeah. Um This, again, this comes up with my clients too. Uh, and For me, I had to address the underlying belief before I could hear my intuition because it was there, but I would push it away because it was a habit because I'm, it wasn't safe growing up for me to do anything else, but ignore my own needs and thoughts and feelings. Like that was the only way to get through. And so that became a habit in my life. And once I addressed the underlying the underpinnings of that then I could um now my intuition is is quite strong but and it was you know when I was young I was always there if we all have intuition but I just couldn't um act on it because it didn't feel safe okay that makes perfect sense so again
0: it comes back to that break like if if you know a part of you is sensing and is aware that there's an issue Mm -hmm. but you're also aware that you keep quieting that and you keep running the same pattern what that's telling you is that you have learned a habitual pattern of shutting down what your mind and body is telling you in order to fit in or survive or belong or whatever. Um, And that the best thing you can possibly do is go in and find that pattern Mm -hmm. so that you can release it. And that will release your access to your intuition more freely to allow you to use the things you're becoming aware of.
1: Yes, yes. And the patterns itself, what I find is that the patterns just sort of start to disappear. They dissipate once you no longer hold that belief inside. Once you have, like something we had talked about an, off this podcast was um, this, uh, I had this belief that uh, there was something wrong with me. And it was um, getting that uh, in sort of in in line with reality. Right. That's, and that was, and I had been doing this work for years. When I say years, I'm not even kidding, like years and years and years. And I didn't know that it was under there. I didn't, I had no idea. But once I just dealt with that, it was like my um, ability to show up in my life for who I am, what I want um, became the norm instead of um my my old normal, which was showing up for others, and they're more important than I am. Yeah, that so. makes
0: so much sense. So much sense. It was um a, another interview that um I just did, and actually will air also this month. Oh. Um the the guest said it's who you're being while you're doing what you're doing, and so I relate completely to what you've just said because I've also I've been in this world of self improvement even long before I became a parent, you know, probably the last 20 years or so I have been devouring self-help and coaching and all the things. But I was coming at it, who I was while I was doing what I was doing was somebody who thought there was something wrong with her that she needed to fix. So I kept going and I was like, you know, if I stop doing this, then that's going to get better. And if I'm not like that and I don't think this way and I stop that. And it's like, okay, when that all goes away and it becomes this act of self-love mm-hmm. of like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me, but I do also have opportunities to expand, to enjoy greater abundance, to feel better, to to bring more compassion to myself and to the people I love and work with and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't realize underneath that my Working in that kind of self-help space was the fixing. That's what I had always been trying to do.
1: Well, and so yes, self-help space, I think gives us also it sort of reinforces that belief. I think I I alluded it to like why the secret doesn't work is or how to make the secret work for you, right? Is 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 like you can you can follow all the steps that are in the books and the gurus and the things and do all the things. Um, and 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 you're like, I'm doing it all, I'm physically, I'm present, but emotionally, I still am rejecting all of the abundance, all of the things that I want to manifest in my life. Um, Yeah, I started my journey trying to deal with what I knew there was a problem when I was Before I could drive, I remember being dropped off at the library and uh, going to uh, major world religions. I was like, okay, whatever I've got going on is not working. I've got to find something. And this is, I'm like a teenager. So I always knew that there was something that I wanted to work on. Um, And I went through as you did, you show up and you do the work, but it just would get me a little bit further down the road and a little bit further, like having like um like a car with like one square wheel, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. um. But just, uh, and so I felt like if I had just tried harder, right, I would get it. It must be me. Uh, everyone else is getting it. There's something in me again, but all I'm doing is uh, leaning on that belief, that I held for so long all I was doing was saying going back to the underlying belief again that there was something uh, wrong with me yeah. uh, and there's not <laughs> no no <laughs> so I guess that is the perfect place to kind
0: of bookend this whole thing is to say the minute you realize there's absolutely nothing wrong with you you start creating options that perhaps were not visible before and it kind of I guess just dropping into the power you hold within yourself to, to deal with whatever life is throwing at you and to do so successfully, which is now, but I understand you help others do. Um, so before
1: we sort of finish up, can you tell me just a little bit about, you know, who is it that you work with and, and what is it that you help them with? So I um, I help people deal with the struggles that I've dealt with, right? And it's really around self, self-worth and um, abundance and really believing that you can have all of those things um, with a healthy relationship on top, so I think there is a period of um, in our lives where we're told, like as women, we have to do it all in order to have it all. But you don't. It's so much easier. And um, I have uh, I have a mix of clients uh, all dealing with a lot of the things that we've just been talking about. But uh, fundamentally, it comes down to you know how we believe what we believe about ourselves and getting to the root of that, and then blowing those hurdles out of the way and opening up life to everything everything wonderful um it sounds like too good to be true but uh, that's what I get to do now so I love it fantastic that
0: is so wonderful so if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh my god I need Jeanette in my life um (laughs) visit bighappylife.co.uk you will find all the links to her social media there thank you so much Jeanette it's been such a wonderful pleasure talking to you and thank you for all the advice that you've shared Thank you. It's been so great. I love it. I really hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did. It was really great to hear some of the the lessons and the reflections that Jeanette shared and the ways in which I think we all can just draw our attention inwards and focus on the things that we think, the stories we're telling ourselves and the ways in which those shape what's possible possible what's visible, and what's impossible. And if we change those things, that new opportunities, new possibilities emerge. If you found this episode useful and you'd like to leave a review, that would be wonderful. If you'd like to share it with someone else, even better. It's always wonderful to have new listeners for the podcast. And if you've got comments or questions, you can always head to bighappylife.co.uk and that's where you'll also find the links to connect with Jeanette if you would like to work with her. For now though, thanks for listening.